a small note to our listeners before we get into this episode. We kick off our discussion today uh, looking over the nominations for this year's Golden Globes. If that's something that interests you, listen on. If not, go ahead and skip to about 25 minutes where our discussion of Ex Machina will begin. Hello. 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 I was yawning and I almost missed my cue. <laughs> Jeez. That's so embarrassing. That could have gone really poorly. It could have. What's up? Nothing. Nothing much. Were we? We didn't do this last week, did we? No. We skipped a week. Mm-hmm. But two weeks because ago. Of Christmas. Yeah, but two weeks ago we did it, right? Yes. yes. Sweet. I'm stoked. Okay. Um oh man, I feel so out of practice. I know. It's weird. Alright, whatever. Um, hello and welcome to episode 52 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There may be others where people watch movies and then talk about them, but this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this here podcast, joined at my right... At my right... No. <laughs> joined... My, my name is Andrew Westensko. Joined my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. That's me. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for supporting me in my blunder. Of course. <laughs> and to my left and Becca's right, due to the circular nature of our table, is Sid. Hello. How are you? I'm a little sleepy. Oh, no. Because of the movie? It's kind of know. a sleepy Saturday. Yeah. Just I don't like, know. It's just like not sleeping great. We started at a weird time. Yeah. Starting at noon is odd. Yeah. So hopefully I'll perk up a little bit. Let's hope so. We're going to, well, actually this today we're going to be talking about Alex Garland's 2015 sci-fi film Ex Machina starring um, Oscar Isaac's sweet, sweet little booty shaken to some dance moves. (laughs) Best scene in the whole movie. Um, No, it stars Alicia Vikander, Domino Gleeson, and Oscar Isaac in a tale of, uh, I don't know, stuff about robots. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. correct. That's it. Um, here's the thing. We're going to do a little pre-show primer before we get in, though, um, because oh, the TV isn't even on. I am I am so messed up. You guys can't oh, see what I'm man. looking at. Um, so embarrassing. I know. I forgot to turn on the TV so you guys could see what I'm looking at. In any case, today we're going to start out with a little pre-show primer because... Um, we are in, we are firmly trenched in awards season, folks. Um, the nominees for the Golden Globes have been announced and we're going to talk about them. The people can't see that. (laughs) I am giving a hardcore rock on sign. Rock on sign, right? Let's do it. And here's the thing I've got, I'm not going to lie. I've got some hope this year. Last year. The award season was totally overrun by uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book and uh, Black Panther and all of these movies that were, quite frankly, outclassed by films such as uh, Roma and The Favorite, most notably. Um, But yes. Remember when Olivia Coleman won? 
I do. That's the that's the only thing I like to remember from last year. That's uh, it was almost as good as uh, Francis McDormand's. It was it was actually probably better than Francis McDormand because Francis McDormand just seemed like she was on cocaine. Oh yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Oh, it was fantastic. And Olivia Coleman just seemed like she was totally high on life. I love you, Olivia. Yeah. We're grateful that you won. The Oscars got, well, they got a handful of things right last year, but most notably was Olivia Coleman. Um, also, direction cinematography. They and, gave it to the right film. And best foreign film. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was a given. That was, well, yeah. That, uh, foreign film last year was like foreign film this year. Yeah. Like, are we even going to bother? No, it's, it's yeah. going to Parasite. Right? Like, that's and last year, everybody was like, ooh, I wonder what's going to win it that's not Roma. And everybody's like, it's Roma. Like, <laughs> Um, actually rewatched like the first third of Roma the other day. Um, so good. I was, uh, talking about it to a friend and so he pulled it up on Netflix and we watched about the first third of it. So good. Gorgeous. We didn't get to the dick swinging scene though. <laughs> That's the best so. scene in the whole movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, teach their own. <laughs> yeah. I prefer the, uh, the ending, but. Uh, yeah, I guess that's good too. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's the thing. So we're going to go through these categories. And like I said, I really do have some hope this year. There's, I, I don't know that there's a blunder here. I don't, I don't know that I see anything that didn't deserve to be nominated. Yeah. There's definitely some oversights, but um, the Golden Globes uh, really do kind of limit themselves. I mean, the Oscars do in most categories as well, but they only allow five nominees. And just some films aren't going to get touched. Uh, things like The Lighthouse and uh midsomar as i recently learned that it's actually pronounced uh just they just aren't gonna get touched um surprisingly absent though is us i thought for sure at least like lupita would get a nod um especially since get out was so huge in the award season yeah um but in any case let's go through well and i think i said this a couple weeks ago um there's just so many good movies this year that like even the tier two movies that are getting noticed are great and i'm fine with them getting noticed this movie this year has been absolutely nutty for film and we're not even quite done yet yeah um okay so let's see here uh let's go through uh the golden globes is really weird they separate out into drama and musical and comedy which doesn't make any sense uh that feels like a distinction that was made in like the 40s and they just never bothered fixing it yeah Especially when they put Bohemian Rhapsody as drama. And it's literally a musical. It's about <laughs> a band. Anyway, they were probably like, oh, well, we want to give the comedy and musical to Green Book, but we also want to give it to this also undeserving movie. Wait, did they give Green Book musical and comedy? Yeah. I feel what? like those two should be flipped. Yeah. Right? yeah. Isn't Green Book more of a drama? I didn't see it. More. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They were probably just like, oh. Let's make this one girl, Sid, as mad as possible, and we're just going to give them both to Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. They were out to get me. We also seem to uh, have a pleasantly surprising absence of movies that make white people feel good about their racism. That's, that's true. Nice. So yeah. that's always nice. Yeah. Um, so let's go through. Uh, the drama... Okay, so well, what do we want? Do we want to start at the bottom or start at the top? Are we going to go through every category? Just or? the ones that we care about. Uh, I say we start down and work our way up. Okay. Um, okay. Then first things first, uh, we'll do TV really quickly. I don't watch a lot of TV. 
Um, I don't know if you do. I don't know do. what that's for, but give it to Olivia Coleman. The Crown. Give it to her. You watch The Crown, right, Becca? Oh yeah, it's really good. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a big TV person, but the only one I care about is Jared Harris nominated for uh, lead actor for Chernobyl. Um, and then Chernobyl nominated for limited series or motion picture made for television. Um, yes. Yeah. I don't. It should win. Uh, yeah. Like, if anything does beat it, I'm going to immediately go out and watch that thing because Chernobyl's phenomenal. Yeah. It's only I mean, six episodes. We bought it immediately after Yeah, we, we purchased it. it on Blu-ray. It's only six episodes. It's totally worth it. It's incredible. Um, oh, uh, television series, musical or comedy, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is nominated. Yes, I know you like that, that should Becca. definitely win. Barry it's and Fleabag are both really good. Are they? Are they? Oh, what, yeah. what would you pick? Um, I haven't seen all of any of them, but I would probably say Fleabag. Is it that good? I've heard really it's good things really about good. it. How many seasons is it? Two. Two? And That's they're, not terrible. They're pretty short episodes. Okay. Um, Might be able to and I've only that. seen a few. I've seen probably more of Fleabag than I have of Marvelous Miss Maisel. Okay. Yeah, I did an episode of Marvelous Mrs. Basil. It just didn't tickle me. I don't know. Yeah, that, I, that one didn't totally grab me. I think it takes a couple episodes, but mm. I loved it, and then I binged it in like a week and a half. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's see. Moving on from TV, because nobody here really cares about that. Um, I guess the only one that you've seen is The Crown out of the best television series drama, right? Big Little Lies, The Crown, Killing Eve, The Morning Show, and Succession. I have seen Big Little Lies and Killing Eve. How good is Big Little Lies? It's really good. The cast is incredible. Oh, it's great. The, I've only seen the first season. I haven't seen the second, but okay. the first season's really, really good. Yeah, the, the, the cast is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah, it's insane. Okay, here we go. Um, best original song, music picture. Does anybody care about that? No. Okay. Cats can win it for all I give a crap. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Best original score. This is interesting. Um, my personal pick as of right now, is still going to Midsommar for best score. Um, out of these, the uh, the nominees are Alexander Desplat for Little Women, Hildur uh, something for Joker. She seems like a nice woman. Randy Newman for Marriage Story, Thomas Newman for 1917, and Daniel Pemberton for Motherless Brooklyn. Out of these, my pick would go to Joker. Me too. But I haven't seen, I've only seen Joker in Marriage Story. I would probably say either Joker or Little Women. Is Little Women good? It's so good. Really? I, I, I want to go see that. Okay, sure. So we can go. Much. Like, I'm, I'm going to talk about it later. I loved it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, good. we can go. Sure. Um. Here's the thing. The odd thing about this is I felt a lot of uh, the score for Marriage Story is getting a lot of talk. I, I thought that the score was the weakest element of it. Yeah, I don't remember it. I didn't. I didn't feel like the score moment. matched the vibe of it. The, the score felt too Randy Newman esque. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, like, I think you said that while we were watching it. Like you pointed out that you didn't love the music. Yeah, that was that was what I thought was the weakest element of Marriage Story. It felt just kind of really bouncy and Toy Story esque, right? Like I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy here, but it it just didn't sell me. Yeah, Joker. I thought had a really good score. Um, have not seen 1917 yet. Uh, Motherless Brooklyn. I don't know if I'm going to take the time to see that. Um, and then I guess we're going to go see Little Women. So we'll see you there. But for I right now, my pick goes watch. to Joker. And it said, you said Little Women? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, best Motion Picture, Foreign Language, uh, The Farewell, your uh, once-decade remake of Les Mis, 
Pain and Glory, Parasite, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I do hear Portrait of a Lady on Fire is incredible. I've heard it's phenomenal as yeah. well. I'm very interested in seeing no, it. I just don't know when it's ever going to come near right. us. Probably never. Yeah. Um, I watched... We've seen a trailer for that, right? Yeah, it's yeah. the one where the woman is tasked with painting another woman, but she doesn't want to be painted. And That's then right. they have a relationship? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what I thought. I remember the trailer, yeah. Um, I watched Farewell this weekend. It was pretty good, but... Is it, it is it as good as it typed up to be? Um, Yeah, I'd probably say so. I okay. mean, like, probably maybe not like a 90, but like high 80s, I would say. Okay, But sure. Parasite's going to win that. Um, Antonio Banderas is supposedly phenomenal in Pain and Glory as well. I have not seen that, but maybe I'll check it out. Parasite, though, what are you going to do? Yeah, <laughs> so good. I think that's a lock, right? Uh, motion picture animated. Which Disney film is going to win? Toy See, this is this is some horse shit right here. You don't get to have it both ways, Disney. Yeah. Freaking The Lion King nominated for Best Animated. It's literally a live action remake. It doesn't yeah. matter if you made it all on a computer, they right? They keep calling it a live action remake. You can't say that it's animated. Yeah. And also, I didn't talk to anybody that liked it. <laughs> I know. How to Train Your Dragon was actually really good. Really? Yeah, I liked it. What about Missing Link? Never saw it. It's a stop either. motion, which I'm into, but yeah. who cares? Uh, Frozen 2, bleh. Toy Story 4 will probably win it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see Toy Story 4, but... It's Me great. Either. I cried. Okay. Well, did its job then. All right. Here we go. This is where we get into the uh, interesting things, right? Best screenplay in a motion picture. Uh, Marriage Story. Parasite. The Two Popes, which I need to see as well. That's a Netflix one, right? I think yeah. so. Okay. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman. Oh, this Ooh, for me is a tough hard. race. I think that your front runners here would be Once Upon a Time, Parasite, and Marriage Story. For me, it'd be a pretty close race between Parasite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's how I feel. Yeah. I think I might. I, I think I would choose Parasite. Yeah, I think that's what I would choose too. If I was forced to make a choice, I think I might choose Once Upon a Time. You love that movie. Though. That movie's like so you, freaking good. Yeah. We just rewatched it. A couple days ago, uh-huh. and it 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 went up like three places on my list for the overall year. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, here we go. Best director again. These are some freaking. Here we go. Uh, Scorsese for The Irishman, Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Bong Joon Ho for Parasite, Sam Mendes for Nineteen Seventeen, or Todd Phillips for Joker. Um, that's tough. I don't know where you even start with this, right? I think Todd Phillips is your instant out. I think he's just outclassed here. Yeah. Um, and this is me being presumptuous on 1917 as well. Have not seen it, but I can only assume the the direction that goes into that film. Um, but yeah, Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and The Irishman, all three of those, the directing is probably the strongest point of them. Um, I might go Parasite, though. I think I, I would, too. Yeah. I... I just think Parasite's going to win over for a lot for me. For me. me too. That's it's fair. very high That's fair. up there. For me, again, I think this would be close uh, close between all three of them. I don't know. I just think that, uh, Parasite might edge up just a little bit. Okay, here we go. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, best per- best performance by an actor in a supporting role in any motion picture. Uh, Tom Hanks, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes. Al Pacino, The Irishman. Joe Pesci in The Irishman. And Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, Brad Pitt is the only one I 
seen. So I would oh, yeah. choose him. Sid, you're the most well-versed here. Yeah, the only one I haven't seen is Anthony Hopkins. Um, I mean, I would probably say Joe Pesci or Brad Pitt. For me, Joe Pesci just completely eliminates the need for a category for this this year. As soon as that movie was over, I was like, that's it. Like, you're not going to... His performance in The Irishman is worth the three and a half hours itself i think he's so freaking phenomenal in that movie um and it was all like do you know the story behind it not really like joe pesci was full-on retired oh and okay scorsese de niro and pacino like begged him to come do this movie yeah and then he just knocks it out of the park wow okay here we go best actress in a in a support act supporting actress blah uh, Laura Dern, Marriage Story, Jennifer Lopez, Hustlers, Margot Robbie in Bombshell, Kathy, Kathy Bates in Richard Jewell, Annette Benning in The Report. The only one I've seen of those is Hustlers. But just because I love her so much, I'm going to say Laura Dern. Laura Dern was you, really wait, you good still haven't seen Marriage Story? Story? No, I haven't seen Oh it my gosh. I've just been like kind of wanting to time it for when I really want to have an existential crisis. It's not so much an existential crisis as it is like... Um, well, I don't know. Maybe it's like, why why do people suck sometimes? And how come even when they sometimes suck, they're still just people and you can't hate them for it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably going to watch it this weekend. She was really good in Marriage Story. Yeah, she might be the front runner. Um, I, so. I thought Margot Robbie did a fantastic job, though. Yeah, she did. I don't think it was like a no. super standout performance. No, but it stands, but it stands to mention. Annette Bening is fine. Yeah. That movie that movie is fine. The report. We watched that. Yeah. It's fine. Adam Driver was great in it. Adam Driver's always great. Yeah. But again, he wasn't standout, right? Like, he was way more standout in Marriage Story than Well, sure, because he had a lot more material to work with in Marriage Story. Yeah. The the point of the report is just to be like, Hey, uh, just a reminder, the United States kinda sucks. Yeah. We don't need a reminder. Well, you got well, one. I don't. Some people do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Richard Jewell, I don't want to go see because I feel like it's just Fox News propaganda. Yeah. Not interested in that. Uh, but yeah, it'll probably be Laura Dern. And deserved. She's fantastic in, in Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. All right. Here we go. This is crazy stuff. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Um, do they separate? Okay, good. Okay, here we go. Uh, best actor in a musical or comedy. Daniel Craig, Knives Out. Roman Griffin Davis in Jojo Rabbit. That's fantastic. Okay. That's awesome. Good job, That's man. Awesome. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Taron Egerton in Rocket Man. And Eddie Murphy in Dolomite Is My Name. Uh, here, I'd probably give it to Leo. Yeah. And I think I think he'll take it. Taron is, is supposedly a dark horse, though, right? Yeah. I mean, I hear he's really good. I mean, of the ones that I've seen, I'd probably say either. Probably Leo. And then second, is it Jonah? For yeah. Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I think Leo's probably going to take it. Probably. But good for Daniel Craig, man. He he slays that oh, role. Yeah. He's yeah, having, he really does. He's having a blast, and you can tell. Yeah. Um, best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Aquafina in The Farewell. Kate Blanchett in Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Bernie, or Beanie Feldstein in Booksmart. Emma Thompson in Late Night. And Ana de Armas in Knives Out. The only one I have seen is Knives Out. And she did great. She is fantastic. Yeah, she's she on. Really she's good. on my short list for uh, best actress. Honestly, yeah, I've seen Booksmart and 
farewell, but I would probably say, what's her name? Anna. Anna de Armas. Anna de Armas. Yeah. Cool. Uh, honestly, it'll probably go to Aquafina though. Would be my guess. I mean, just, she, just, she from, is very just from good. the way the winds are blowing, it seems like she'll probably take she it. She is very good in the farewell. Okay, here we go. Best performance by an actor in a drama: Joaquin Phoenix and Joker, Jonathan Price, The Two Popes, Christian Bale and Ford v Ferrari, Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory, and Adam Driver in Marriage Story. I think Joaquin's just walking through this award season, honestly, which is too bad because. Um, I think it's a tight race between him and Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. I agree. But Joaquin, I mean, he's amazing and he did so good as Joker. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think I think he's picking up this one. I think he's taking home the Oscar, personally. Um, which I'm is, okay with that. I'd, I'd yeah, I'm fine with it. I, I'm yeah. fine with it. I'd be also fine if it went to Adam Driver. Appar- mm-hmm. Again, apparently Antonio Banderas is phenomenal. And I have not seen 4B Ferrari. So. But is, is it a Christian Bale performance? I wouldn't say so. I mean, really? like, he's really good in it, but... Compared to some of his others, I, I don't think it's his best. All right. Best performance by an actress in a drama. Renee Zellweger in Judy. Uh, Cynthia Erivo in Harriet. Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story. Saucy Ronan in Little Women. And Charlize Theron in Bombshell. Apparently, again, the way the winds are blowing, Renee Zellweger is the super front runner. Apparently. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about that one. I have not seen that movie. I don't have a lot of interest in that movie, mostly because... I don't like biopics, and I don't care that much about Judy Garland. May she rest in peace. She's dead, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, my front runner for this category is Scarlett Johansson, though. I'd love to see her take it. Me too. She's a treat in that movie. Very transformative. Um, how's Stassi Ronan, though? She's really good. Yeah? Yeah. I, I mean, the front runner for Little Women for me is Florence Pugh. That's what I've heard. She's... I mean, I'm in love with her. I sure. love her. I I do really like Saoirse uh, Ronan, but I don't know. For me, I think I just connected a little bit more to Florence Pugh. But okay. I mean, still. You got me hyped sitting here. I want to go see this movie now. It's I do too. I don't know if it was just like, I, I don't even know. I cried so much in that movie. Great, dude. I could use a good cry. That's okay. not true. We just watched Interstellar. That movie. Yeah, that movie. True. That movie gets me going. Oh man. yeah. Um, okay, here we go. Big guns. Best motion picture, musical or comedy. Dolomite is my name. Jojo Rabbit. Knives Out. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Rocket Man. Uh, for me, it's easily Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But Me too. But honestly, close second would be Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, it's very close for me. I would probably say Jojo Rabbit. Like, I love Jojo Rabbit. My second would probably be Knives Out. I mean, yeah, that one's great. I loved that. That one was. I thought, I thought it was super. I thought it was super great. original, very well made. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, until until I saw Uncut Gems, uh, Ryan Johnson was actually on my short list for director. Mm. But then I saw Uncut Gems, and they took the fifth spot. Because <laughs> <laughs> who am I going to kick out? I got freaking Tarantino, Bong Joon Ho, Scorsese, now Safdie Brothers. You got Ari Aster in there. Who am I going to get rid of? Yeah, there's some yeah, really, really good movies this yeah. year. And here we go, folks. The big guns. Best motion picture drama, 1917, The Irishman, Joker, Marriage Story, and The Two Popes. Um, I mean, I've only seen two of them, but I'm going to say Joker. Just of the two that I've seen. So, again, the way the winds are blowing, um, according to critic predictions, the uh, the Irishman is set to kind of take everything. Uh, this one, as well as the Best Picture Oscar, is everybody's kind of prediction for it. Have not seen 1917. Haven't seen the Two Popes. 
interested to see the two popes. Um, out of what I have seen out of these, though, I think the Irishman or 1917 is most likely to win. Um, I think my pick might be Marriage Story, though. Yeah, I'm having a hard time choosing between Joker and Marriage Story. Because the more I like think about Marriage Story and sit with it, the more I love it. Yeah, I just think I think Marriage Story is uh, a very timely story. Um, something that uh, should be talked about right now. Um, and Noah Baumbach, how do you say his name? Um, Baumshaw? I don't know. I don't know. His problematic history with the movie aside, um, it's very, very, very good. Apparently, it's like autobiographical. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah. And I forget who all of the players are. He, I think he was, he was married to Greta Gerwig. Oh, and yeah. cheated on her. No, they're. Or did he cheat with his wife on Greta Gerwig? Yeah, with they're Greta. currently oh, dating. Oh, he, he was married to somebody else, cheated on his wife with Greta Gerwig, and they got divorced so that he could be with Greta Gerwig. Hmm. And, um, yeah. So it's like autobiographical, and people are saying it's just a wave. It's like his honey boy, basically, where he's doing therapy on himself to make himself feel better. Hmm. But... It's a very good movie. It's very timely. The screenplay is fantastic. Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are just revelatory in that movie. They're so freaking good. They really are. Uh, so my pick would probably go to Marriage Story out of these. Um, with the contingency that I haven't seen 1917. But I don't think a war movie is going to beat out. I, I, I trend towards more human stories. But apparently 1917 does that as well too from what I've heard. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. If they can take, you know... A, kind of a Dunkirk route with it and tell a personal story in the theater of war, then I'm cool with that too. Mm-hmm. But there we go. And that is our uh, takedown of the Golden Globes happening. I guess by the time you guys hear this, they will be out. So you'll know if we're right or wrong. <laughs> <laughs> They're happening tomorrow and we don't release this till Monday. So, <laughs> uh, But yeah, that's that. Um, I guess we're not going to be around though to watch them. Nope. Whatever. Just have to look it up later. It's all good. All right, folks. We appreciate your patience. 25 minutes in, we're going to start talking about Ex Machina now. Which is a good time to do it. Yes. Um, all right. So we're going to dive in. Um, here's how the show is going to work from this point out. Um, did you guys see that? Adam Driver. More than just Kylo Ren. <laughs> you think? Yeah, there's a headline on IMDb that says, Adam Driver, more than just Kylo Ren. No. I would I like to speak can't yeah. to that. whoever did that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, they're getting clicks. Maybe maybe it will drive people to see Marriage Story. I also be have been, I've been Jones in to see Patterson too, because apparently he's phenomenal in that. Have you seen he that? It's really good. It's a... It's very, 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 very slow. Oh, really? I personally didn't like it. Okay. But he's very good in it. All right. Well, here's how the show is going to work. Uh, we're going to do some hot takes, which will be condensed opinions of the movie spoiler-free, at which point we will jump directly into spoiler territory to talk about Alex Garland's Ex Machina. Um, after our discussion, Sid will regale us with the best of the best of IMDb movie trivia. She read it all, so you don't have to. Um, at which point we will assign a score to the movie 
and it will be placed on the Weston scale, which is the only definitive way to rank movies on a scale of 1 to 10. After that, we'll get into other topics, uh, which is mostly just what other movies have we been watching, which is quite a few. We've had some time. It's true. So let's jump in uh, with some hot takes. Uh, don't burn yourself on these hot takes. Becca, how hot is your hot take? Um, it's pretty hot. Spicy hot take. Yeah. Um, I love this movie. It's exactly like the type of movie that I like. So it was really great. Especially because it's just over an hour and a half. So it's short and fun and to the point and I love it. And I also, I'm always really impressed with movies when they have like s- such a small cast. Like there's literally three, I guess four people in this movie and it's amazing. So I love when movies can do that with such a small cast and... Yeah, I don't know. I just love it. I'm ready to talk about it. Right on. Sid, how hot is your hot take? Oh, it's pretty hot. Spicy hot Um, take number two. I do remember that when we did our episode of Annihilation, I said that I liked this one better. I'm I'm rethinking that. I'm not sure which one I like better. But that's besides the point. Um, I do really, really like this movie. Um, I think... This between this and Annihilation, it's a much different feel. Uh, this one's more of a slow burn, um, not as much action to it. Um, but I, this movie's gorgeous. The set design is amazing. Um, going along with what Becca said, the such a short cast. Um, I love that that kind of claustrophobic feeling, as well as all taking place all in one location. Um, and it really like kind of puts you in the mindset of Ava and you just feel like you're stuck there. Um, performances are great. The dancing scene is amazing. I love it. This movie is very good. I'm looking up right now. Um, what was, what the crap? Did I just accidentally click on the Golden Globes? I did. Academy Awards 2016. There we go. Um, this was a tough year. For the Oscars, this was a this was a bomb diggity year. Um, I would have nominated this above Brooklyn, honestly, for Best Picture, but to each their own. Brooklyn's a fine movie. Um, also, this was the year that Mark Rylance beat Tom Hardy for supporting actor. Uh, I have not seen Bridge of Spies, but Tom Hardy gives a performance of a lifetime in The Revenant. Uh, really quickly, I'm curious. Uh, this was only nominated for original screenplay and visual effects, which it won. Um, but production design, this is, I would have nominated this above the Revenant for production design. I feel like small rant about the Academy. <laughs> I I don't think that this was nominated for for production design for the same reason that I don't think Parasite will be nominated for production design is that the Academy favors these really luxurious, over-the-top, mm-hmm. your favorites. They love period. They pieces. love period pieces, but I'm talking like the favorite. I'm talking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And the fact that The Revenant was nominated for production design, like, you know who the production designer of that movie was? God. Because they literally just went out into the middle of nowhere. Like, <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Like, and that's not to take away from the fantastic work of uh, Jack Fisk and Hamish Purdy, but I'm just saying that if you want to talk about design done deliberately that feeds into the feel and themes of a movie. I think Ex Machina does that better than The yeah. Revenant. I oh, could yeah. see them discounting Ex Machina because it was filmed in like a house. Um, so it wasn't totally designed, but like everything they put in there was designed. But I could see them being like, well, it's not an original like building, you know. And you know what? You know what also isn't? The Canadian woods. True. <laughs> like that's my whole thing, right? Yeah. I feel like any any argument against doing like giving it to something with like a pre-built structure yeah. is the same thing for not like for not nominating somebody who just goes out to the nature right right rant over this movie's great um i think overall for me um i prefer annihilation i uh i think that the themes that are uh dissected by annihilation uh hit a little bit harder um if you want to hear more about that episode six of this very podcast is dedicated to annihilation do you just know the numbers of all our episodes, or did you have to look that up? I know that one for some reason. Uh-huh. I don't know. Huh. I mean, it was one of our earliest. Yeah, it was ones. one of the earliest. I could probably rattle off the first handful. Um, no, I can't. After about ten, <laughs> I think I'd probably get lost. I can do the first two. Because we did Slumdog Millionaire, and then Children of Men, Social Network, oh, yeah. Django. I honestly forgot no, about Slumdog. Hereditary Slumdog. was number four. Oh, Hereditary was number that. four. Then Django was five. Then this was. Then Annihilation <laughs> was six. We're just going to bore you talking about ourselves. Yeah, right. Who cares? <laughs> Nobody listens to this anyway. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, but yeah, this movie's great. I love it. Um, I think that there are some very smart choices made in the filmmaking uh, that make the film seem more expensive than it probably was. Um, I think that everybody turns in fantastic performances. Oscar Isaac is a gem, and I love him in everything I've ever seen him in. Um wasn't he in that terrible movie with Will Smith, Collateral Beauty? Wasn't Oscar Isaac in that? I have no idea. I did not see that. Neither so. did I. I just remember it had like a million people in it. In any case, this movie is great. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it. I think that it does some interesting things with some of the themes that are frequently explored by sci-fi films. Was he in it? No. Okay. Um, Michael Pina was in it. Maybe that might be it. you got those two confused. Yeah. Um, in any case, this movie acts, I think, as sort of a counterpoint to something like Blade Runner, um, where Blade Runner is. Well, I'm getting a spoiler if I talk about that. Don't spoiler do it. on Ex Machina or Blade yeah, Runner? Yeah, on Ex Machina. So we're just going to jump in. Now we're entering spoiler territory. Do you guys want me to start then, since I'm like sure, in the middle of the plot? Okay. Go for it. <laughs> I think that this movie functions as kind of a counterpoint to something like Blade Runner, where Blade Runner explores the idea, and I guess posits that uh, consciousness and self-awareness and autonomy are kind of the basis of our humanity. Um, it It takes for granted a number of things that this movie does not. And I almost feel like this movie is arguing in the total other direction that, you know, consciousness and autonomy uh, do not a human make in and of their like own, just like the existence of those two things don't make a human, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Blade Runner operates under this assumption that, you know, replicants are... Uh, basically perfect in appearance right even in 2049 like they're popping them out 
out of a metaphorical womb, right? She comes out all when, when, uh, Wallace births the one before he cuts her up. Yeah. Um, she comes out of a, 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 a birthing sack and is covered in fluid and everything like that. Like this, there's this whole idea that they are born and not created. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's especially, uh, that's, that's much more explored in 2049 than in the original. But, um, this movie does not operate under that assumption. I guess what I'm saying is that it doesn't take the physicality of being a person or even an animal, like an, an, an organism, if you will. It doesn't take the, the the physicality of that for granted. And I think that this movie argues that um, kind of organic composition is almost necessary for uh, like actual life to exist. And not, I guess not even organic, but like that our, that our appearance and the physicality of being human plays very much into being human, which is something that I feel like isn't explored very heavily in a lot of these, like are the machines alive movies? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, I don't know. That's why I think this movie's compelling. Yeah. I mean, it's because the whole kind of point of the movie is to see like, if Ava can like formulate her own thoughts and uh, make her own decisions, which we see that she can, but I'm like, they probably, they don't really discuss, does she have a moral compass? And we see that she doesn't totally like, it appears to me that she doesn't have one. So like she has sure. the autonomy to, um, to trick Caleb and to uh, get out of, um, you know, get out of her, her prison, but she doesn't have, like, as she's walking out, you know, she's smiling, and it's like, it's not even a second thought, like, oh, maybe I should go get him, you know? Yeah. It's all, like, kind of mission-oriented for her. It's very mechanical. Yeah. Right? Well, and, like, just the whole the whole setup and the whole test was to see if she would do this one specific thing, and she does this one specific thing, but just because she escapes, exactly what you're saying, doesn't make her human. Well, and you, I think that it, it also, um, and I mean, one of the aspects that Interstellar gets some flack on, and maybe it's just because we just watched it again that it's on my mind, but I think that this almost builds on some of the themes of that movie as well, um, where you have Anne Hathaway's kind of much derided speech about love and how you know love is our guiding force as humans and that it's 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 not something that we invented that she she claims that it's observable and um quantifiable um and it seems like again you know ava has autonomy she makes decisions she doesn't just trick uh what's his name caleb not caleb the other one nathan she doesn't just trick nathan she tricks caleb and but what she's completely, so just, you know, I mean, she has, she's making decisions. She's having complex thoughts. She's aware of herself. She has a survival instinct, right? But what she's lacking is empathy and love, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that, again, this movie, um, and, you know, love being connected to the heart, being connected to our anatomy, like, uh, I think that it all ties back very heavily into human anatomy and not not even just human right like animal anatomy as well like just being 
a part of the animal kingdom as part of, you know, being a human. And, and the interesting thing is that I don't think that the argument of the movie is that they're not, that she's not alive, right? I think that the argument is that she's not human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And to the empathy point, um, there's even a part in it where Nathan says, like, she... Um, showed empathy but she was just mimicking yeah it was it was manipulation and, right yeah like it wasn't from like a good place it was just from her brain and like from knowledge rather than from compassion well yeah and that's talked about i mean so i guess in that way she ends up failing the test right because yeah um because she doesn't come back and help caleb if well, yeah, she had caleb like, discerns that he makes the chess uh comparison right that like is a chess computer aware that it is playing chess or what chess is, right? So they talk about, you know, simulation versus actual. And I think that if she is emulating uh, empathy to the end of escaping, that's simulation of empathy. Like she never, she never genuinely shows emotion. And that feels really... I guess the the reason why the movie is so effective is that even as I say that, I feel like I'm being really condescending towards her. But she's a robot. Like, yeah. <laughs> she literally is. I mean. Well, the, yeah, she manipulates us as an audience just as much as she manipulated Caleb. Right. Like the, the Google comparison is not very thinly veiled. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, like she's Google incarnate. Yeah. And like for some reason I still feel bad saying that she doesn't genuinely have feelings because that feels really like I said pretentious of me. Yeah. But it's like very obvious throughout the movie like even when she meets um Ko- Kokia- Kyoko. 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 Um like it almost seems like they have this kind of connection because they it's are called the internet. <laughs> oh, <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> But like it, it feels like they have an emotional connection. But again, it's just manipulation, mm-hmm. and it's just her using Kyoko to get out and to escape. Sure. And I, I, I mean, again, it's it's so I don't know. Like, again, I think that the argument of the movie overall is that she's not human, but that she's probably alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that. It also examines that when we talk about creating artificial intelligence, we always assume that it's an artifice of human intelligence, right? And I think that this movie does a good job as well at exploring uh, some of what that would mean on a less positive light, right? Because it means manipulation and it means selfishness and it means preservation of the one above all else you know what i mean like all of these aspects that we don't really want to think about when we're talking about creating ai because when we create when we talk about creating ai it's like oh maybe we can make a sex robot or maybe we can you know make a a a thing to you know work our sewers so that we don't have to or like all these things we're just talking about making slaves Right. Like essentially that's what it comes down to is when we talk about creating artificial intelligence and things like replicants or Ava in this, what we really want are slaves. But if we actually want to create artificial intelligence, like that's completely immoral, obviously, to do like. Well, yeah. And if you give artificial intelligence human qualities, they are automatically going to like choose the negative qualities because logically 
it doesn't make sense to be kind or well, yeah. to I mean, be selfless. Assholes get ahead in life. Like yeah. that's just what it is. Yeah. Like And so like that's what would happen because Yeah. it makes complete logical sense. And again, it's uh, I'm I'm noticing a lot of threads between this and Interstellar, right? But there's that whole conversation going through Interstellar as well, especially between Anne Hathaway and Tars that um you know, Tars has this really attractive personality that they've given him right and she's like no tars we can't throw you into the black hole blah, blah, blah. but maybe he's like he's a robot <laughs> <laughs> of course we can throw him into the black hole <laughs> you know what i mean yeah like and it's just an interesting thread i think mm-hmm. you looked like you were leaning into it but i guess not um i mean not really that's okay it's just, I, mean, I thought you were so that's why i like pulled back yeah. to stop talking but then you didn't talk and no um i mean situation. it kind of like poses the question like yes this is artificial intelligence but like it is also a being not necessarily a human being so it, it does like kind of pose the question like do they deserve the same rights and sure um you know i would argue yes they do but it it is different because they're not I don't know like you can't totally like thinking about like uh blade runner 2049 like these are man-made things yes they are born using air quotes Mm -hmm. but you know it's just hard to see like are they wired differently do they actually feel this this sadness or this empathy for others or is it all just a manipulation um so yeah it gets it's a really like foggy hypothetical moral standing well, and even to that point, right, like as far as deserving rights, like rights are just the part of a social contract, right? We agree as people that certain rights are afforded and we say that they're God given, but like it's not really true. Like it's what we have all agreed upon, right? We have all said you get the freedom of speech. We have all said you get freedom of religion right like that's just what we have agreed upon in our social contract in the united states there's also the larger social contract of uh kind of humanity mm-hmm. right uh, where like we understand you and me sitting here if i rip your arm off you're not going to just walk it off yeah. right but when when you totally flip that power dynamic in somebody else's favor right so like you end up with like an irobot situation yeah right where like if if there isn't some sort of threat to each of our safety offsetting uh, i guess balancing out the scales of our power right like yeah sure the president can say i'm not gonna say that because i want to get hit by the fbi but like let's say i can you know what i mean like the ceo of google can say like oh you know we're we're not gonna capture your data and sell it anymore right um, and that's a right that we have given you is you have the right to data privacy mm-hmm. and I'm sitting in his office and it's just me and him. And he says, we're not going to do that anymore. And I'm like, well, then I'm going to rip your arms off. Like there's, there's this offsetting, right. Of, mm-hmm. of like uh, the threat to our survival versus the power that the people in power inherently have. And the idea that if they tip the scales too far in one direction, that the masses will rise up and therefore be a threat to their physical safety. But when you eliminate that threat to physical safety on one side, right, where like you can 
you can just rip her arm off. And I, I use that as an example because that's what happens, right? But like, as long as her her brain computer is preserved, like, she's fine, right? Yeah. So yeah, eventually you could take her down. But if you're talking like in a one-on-one situation, like all of these are happening, right? Like, it's totally unbalanced. And so I guess the the conversation of do they deserve the same rights becomes extremely stilted because like, yeah, we can guarantee them these rights, but what's stopping the physically more powerful and equally conscious being from flipping around and saying, now you don't get those rights. And if you try and stop me, I'm going to rip your head off. It, it just, it, it spirals out. And I love that. That's what sci-fi is for. Yeah, and again, like, it plays on our emotions so well, especially when we see the clips of all of the previous um, robots and all of them trying to get out. And we feel bad for them. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, like, we feel for them, but they don't feel for us, you know? like it, Exactly. It's not reciprocal. Exactly. And it's not the same at all. So, like, well, and that, what are the boundaries? That That reciprocation, right? Like, that... Again, I think is one of the things that the movie dissects as an, as an essential part of being human is that reciprocation, right? We see a human in suffering and we feel bad for them mm-hmm. when like a robot wouldn't. Yeah. Because it, cause it doesn't have emotions the same way that we do. Everything is just a calculation, right? And if the computer has been programmed to prioritize self-preservation above all, then it's not going to care if you're suffering. Right? Because yeah. its number one directive is self-preservation. And nothing can override that. And if it's programmed to feel bad for you, then it's probably not completely self-aware. Yeah. I think kind of, I mean, another gear to throw in is like the idea of a human being, say like a psychopath, sociopath, who is incapable of feeling those feelings for other people they can't feel sympathy or empathy and yeah um yeah so that's kind of like well yes they act and appear as a human being and sometimes they mimic those feelings that a normal person would have but then it's kind of like do they deserve the same rights as someone who does feel Mm. (laughs) yikes that's a moral gray area (laughs) (laughs) but i mean yeah maybe maybe we're only as people Capable of making sociopaths. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I just, I wouldn't even, I mean, I wouldn't obviously even know how to make any of this happen. But like, you can't give someone or something selflessness. Like you can't yeah. program that in to a robot to have it naturally, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, and I guess, so jumping back to your other question, right? Like if there's a person who's verifiably a human being who, uh, you know, is a psychopath or a sociopath or whatever, like, do they deserve the same rights? I think it's, I think it's that same, it's the, the reciprocation that we're talking about, right? Like, yeah, you might not actually feel empathy as a psychopath, but like, like until you do something wrong sure you do deserve those rights because we have this reciprocation as human beings and our physical safety scale is balanced Mm -hmm. right um now when a sociopath goes off and kills somebody like yeah they lose those rights because now they have you know 
they've they've flipped that scale and so then i guess all of society flips the scale against them back in the other direction right like they flip it on a micro scale and then the the physical safety kind of balance flips on a macro scale where people tend to rise up against murderous sociopaths yeah so again i think that that comes back to what i was talking about earlier that it's the 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 physicality and the anatomy of being human playing very much into being human and um to that that idea of what it means to be human and the reciprocity that we're talking about i don't know I, again i think it's so interesting the way that like i said the the anatomy and the physicality of being human plays into the whole psychology of it i think another aspect i guess just when we're talking about what it means to be human is like the ability to learn new things and gain new knowledge that you didn't have previously whereas a lot of these robots just have all of the knowledge that they need well it is not even having all the knowledge right it's it you think back to like the the question scene right where she's he says she's a walking lie detector like there there is that understanding again in our general social contract of humanity that like sometimes we're going to lie and sometimes we're going to mislead. And sometimes it's better not to know if somebody is lying to you or misleading you Mm -hmm. that like sometimes is in your self-interest for your happiness. And, and and I'm not saying go around lie to people because lying in general is not good, but you have this understanding, right? That like, yeah, you might be misleading me. Right. Or even something as simple as the example they give, right? Where she says, what's your favorite color? And he's like red. And she's like, that's a lie. And he has to like get all introspective and be like, well, I guess I don't have a favorite color. And she's like, that's all right. You know what I mean? Like, you, again, you, you you flip the balance of power completely in one in in one direction, even in conversation, because she then gets to decide what is an appropriate response to anything, because she can tell if you're lying or not. And absolute introspection and absolute truth are rarely the best way to go about things. Yeah. At least for humans, maybe sure. for oh, robots, yeah. that's fine. Well, yeah, for, you know, for like, robots, it's fine, right? But like, are and and oh my, ugh, ugh, it even gets into this, right? Like, are robots ever going to make this movie, right? Are robots? You look at uh, again. He uses Pollock as an example, right? Are are robots ever going to create magnificent art in this way, right? Like, it's these flaws in our humanity that we inherently try and eliminate when. Uh, talking about AI that make us human and make it worth being alive, right? Look at the Matrix for an example of what's going to happen if robots completely take over everything, right? It just becomes pure efficiency and there's no room for beauty or feeling. Mm-hmm. And like that just, uh, those, that that idea of, of, uh, of that beauty just being eliminated from life like that's the logical endpoint of an ai singularity yeah because how could a robot ever possibly do a pollock painting couldn't and like if we ever did program an ai to reach that point like then you'd have a hard time arguing against like actual humanity at that point right but then again it gets back into the physicality of the whole thing and all of this just ties so together and and it makes you think about the things that make us human that we don't generally think about right you you look at something uh, like i said like blade runner where it's like basically autonomy is humanity right and it uses that as a springboard to say like just because you are biologically a human doesn't mean that you are a person because if you surrender your autonomy to somebody else 
then you are giving up what makes you human. So like that's interesting in its own right. But mm-hmm. like that's it's that's that's its hypothesis is like autonomy makes humanity. But this is like no, it's not just autonomy. It's empathy. It's beauty. It's art. It's reciprocity. It's the anatomy of it. It's the physicality of it. It's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like robots will never be humans. Humans will never be robots. They're two separate things. Sure, you might like, and if we make a self-aware robot that can act as a human, like it, it'd be a different. It would be a different species. Mm-hmm. And then again, it, it, even that is explored because there's that conversation where they're up on the waterfall, or no, they're up on the picnic table looking over the house, right? And um, you have that whole conversation where Oscar Isaac is, or uh, I mean, um, what's his face? Caleb is talking about how. Uh, Nathan sees himself as God mm-hmm. and um, what is uh, what does Nathan say he says it's not I didn't see making Ava as a decision it's an evolution mm-hmm. which is like a freaking crazy line yeah yeah because like AI has been an idea for as long as computers have been around you know um, it's been explored in lots of different um you know mediums and movies and tv shows and but i just lost my train of thought oh so yeah like he calls it like he says like it kind of just felt like the next step which yes it does but then when he calls it evolution it's is it evolution of computers is it evolution of humans is it evolution of both different things everything connected well and then i guess that's that's i guess uh, a different branch to go off of right when you're talking about the physicality of the thing right it, is it an evolution of computers or is it an evolution of humanity because the purpose of evolution is to uh, make things more efficient and safer right yeah. um to increase your chances of survival like that's the purpose of evolution so maybe like these what could be technically weaknesses in the animal kingdom right this empathy and the reciprocity that you were talking about becca like maybe those are things that will eventually just be evolved out of humanity well because because reciprocity and empathy they do lower our chances of survival yeah but like again like ai is not human like if anything it's like a combination it's like a yeah, like a combination of technology and humanity into one thing. Sure. And even the the makeup of her computer, right? Um, it's like the the gel that realigns itself on a, on a what does he say? A, a, a microscopic level. A microscopic level. level. Yeah. yeah. Right? And even when uh, Caleb says to him, oh, so this is your hardware. He says, well, wetware. Like it's, 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 it's a halfway point, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a, it's not a computer chip, but it's not a human brain. Yeah. It's somewhere between. It's crazy. Man. You know what the really crazy thing is? There is some freaking uh, super smart overlord being looking into his uh, human simulator 4085 video game that they've, you know, created all of us. And he's. Uh, my, yeah, my thing is that we're living inside of a simulation and we're becoming self-aware, <laughs> right? We're just, uh, we're the robots here. And, oh, yeah. I mean, that's, the, I mean, then you get into like inception levels of creating consciousness, right? Like we, our consciousness is created by some computer and then we become self-aware and start creating things that are self-aware, which, you know, where does, where, where does the rabbit hole go, right? If we're created by a computer and we become self-aware, maybe 
that itself is just a computer that is the result of it becoming self-aware. Huh. There's Don't the, get uh, too lost down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, I know. There's the, uh, what is it? Uh, the, I just lost it. Who's the big sci-fi author from the 50s? I don't know. I just lost his name. He wrote... Oh my gosh. I just lost his name. I feel so stupid. Um... This is freaking ridiculous. Asimov. Um, he wrote that story that I, I read to you one time. I don't remember what it's called. Oh, yeah. The robot. It, is it about a robot? Yeah. So they have. Um, oh, yeah. Because they ask questions to the robot. and Yeah. Yeah. Um, the last question. That's what it's called. Um, it is phenomenal. It's a short story. Um, it takes maybe 20 minutes to read. Um, but, and it's worth reading, but basically the idea is that humans have created this computer, um, and the computer is all knowing it's a perfect artificial intelligence, right? And, um, they ask the question of how to stop entropy, um, which I forget. What is, how would I explain? Entropy is the thermodynamic quantity representing the unavailability of a system's thermal energy for conversion to mechanical work, often interpreted as the degree of disorder or randomness in the system. Uh, so basically, gradual decline into disorder, right? So it's the idea that things will eventually descend into chaos. And how do you stop that? It's the decomposition of our bodies. It's um, essentially annihilation, right? The penchant for uh, self-destruction that people have. Um, and so they ask the, they ask the computer, how do you stop that? And the computer doesn't know. And so the, the idea is that, um, this computer exists through many evolutions of humanity and there's, you know, thermonuclear war that destroys the planet. And then we go out into the stars and then there's war that destroys the planets and all of these things. And then, uh, you know, the heat death of the universe happens, things expand too much. And so they contract into a single point and this computer, this intelligence is still trying to answer this question. And once everything combines down back into, you know, after the expansion of the universe finishes and everything combines back down into a single point, the uh the computer finally gets the answer to the question and has a desire to tell people about it and so the computer then uh uses the power it, 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 the computer stops being a computer it basically becomes an amalgamation of all of the consciousness of everybody who has existed they invent there becomes some technology where they're able to extract the consciousness of people and that all gets put into one computer and the computer gets tasked with figuring out the solution to this question and basically once it figures it out everything is contracted into a single point and all that is left is this consciousness and it figures out the answer and so it creates the universe through a big bang and says let there be light and that's the whole idea of the story and it is it's phenomenal and mind-bending and i guess that's kind of the the like very very long-term end point of what we're talking about here right is like if machines and robots and artificial intelligence are an evolution of humanity. Like, where does it go? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Sci-fi. I love sci-fi so much. <laughs> ah! <laughs> and that's not even talking about the craft of the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I don't. I'm 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 out of words about this, but Sid's laughing at me. I just have no idea what the hell's going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> All I just hear is just like planets and amalgamation and blah, blah, and I'm just We're getting a bit existential here. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sid. Go read the last question by Isaac Asimov, okay. and it will make I sense. Will. I will. Um. Yeah. Go ahead. You, I thought you were going to say something. No. Oh, okay. Um, anything I'm else? I'm at a loss for words right now. I'm sorry. Anything else on uh, themes, I guess? I feel like we've covered all of it. I mean, at this point, we've been talking for most of the movie. I guess that's true. Yeah. Um, really quickly, a couple of things that I do want to mention craft-wise. This movie did win the Oscar for Best Visual Effects, and I think that that... Oh, I'm sorry. One more thing I want to jump back to, right? Um and this kind of ties into craft, but the the way that the scene where she mirror where she puts on the dress mirrors the scene where she puts on her skin, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And again, her evolution in that way. And also, I was going to mention this earlier, but um, with Becca mentioned something that Ava manipulates Caleb, but she also manipulates the audience in specifically in the scene where she's just trying on the dress. He can't really see her. Um, and so that whole scene is just for us and it kind of like, it's a very, I guess, kind of like girlish kind of scene where it's like this, she's basically like a child and she's just like kind of playing dress up and it's just like showing her dream and her fantasy to go out and like kind of be a regular person. So I think that was like kind of a good scene to show the audience that, um, that she does want this, but it kind of shows it more in a positive light than we find out later. See, but I, I would maybe even argue against that. And uh, only because y- you made me think of it in a different way, right? When you say that she's playing dress up, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. she is. She thinks, again, that putting on the skin will make her more human. Yeah. But the whole movie has been spent kind of debunking that. Mm-hmm. I think like kind of like if you were to watch that scene without any context... Like, they kind of just give you, like, a brief overview of what's happening. You watch that scene, you kind of see it more as, like, kind of, she's just having fun. She's trying on these dresses and um, exploring, like, her femininity. And then if you were to kind of explain the movie or you watch the movie and you rewatch that scene, it feels different. Well, and I think that's a good point to bring up with the manipulation as well because... I, I do, I totally agree. And I think that that scene is really manipulating for the audience because we see it as relatable, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, like picking out an outfit to impress someone mm-hmm. or, you know, like wanting to feel human. And we see it as that, but it could very well be her logically thinking which, like what outfit will impress him, what will get him to help yeah. me escape. You know, well, and to that point, right? Like we learn later on that her look and appearance is based off of what Caleb finds attractive. Yeah, yeah. So she's running through a million situations of like, oh, he's searched for girls wearing red dresses thirty-five times, and girls wearing blue dresses thirty-two times. So I'm gonna go with the red dress. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's all just a farce. Yeah, but yeah, like that's where I don't think I've realized this any other time I've watched the movie, but. It really is, like, she really is manipulating us as much as she is Caleb. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, I mean, like, who, it, like people could reasonably watch this movie and end up on either side of the morality of her actions. 
That's why it's such an interesting ending, just like leaving Caleb in the house and her getting out because like we're feeling so many different things. Like I feel happy that she escaped and I'm like excited for her to experience human life. But at the same time, she's a murderer. Yeah. And Caleb is stuck in the house. Double murderer. Though. Like there's no way he's getting out. No yeah. one's going to come save him. Yeah. And so, it's, yeah, it's just like this balance of which character do you sympathize more with? Yeah. This is so disappointing because we have to move on, I feel like. But yes. <laughs> we haven't even talked about the performances and how fantastic Oscar Isaac is and how incredibly written that character is as mm. a villain. And then he turns out to not be a villain. He turns out to just be kind of eccentric. Because <laughs> he's the only one that realizes like what we've been talking about this entire time, right? That like they're not human. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, really quickly, one thing that I noticed that I thought really sells the look and feel of this whole movie is how sharp a lot of the photography is. Um, everything is uh, gorgeously shot, but everything is so, I guess, uh, forward and there's not really a lot of like background blur going on. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so when you get into these scenes where you see Ava, it, it, it totally sells those visual effects because everything else looks so crisp and real. And that look is so hard to get. Like they managed to get you out of the uncanny valley, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and along with that, like just I know we talked about this already a little bit, but like um, the set design of all of it where it's like just this organic beautiful lush mountainside and then the house is just like all concrete and sharp edges it's pure functionality but, but they mix because you see nature inside like you see the rock inside or the trees or things like like plants and that's really like that. astute and so it just like i don't know i think that obviously was on purpose of just organic life and concrete man-made material sure. combining sure and Sid to your point as well um about her being a child in a lot of ways mm -hmm. right um uh, there's the scene where Caleb is talking to her and he asks how old she is and she says one mm -hmm. and he says one year and she says I'm one yeah like you know what I mean and, and then there is the dress-up scene and her theme as you would call it is on like a glockenspiel or something I don't know what that is but like it's really plinky and childlike you think of like a kid sitting there banging it out on on a little xylophone right and i think it's so genius the way that the music evolves especially during that last scene of her putting on her skin where you see her go into that room and it's just her her theme as you've heard it before and then it slowly distorts and each of the hits become less sweet and more sour and then eventually by the time she's getting into the elevator it's just this cacophony of static and like again that idea of that you've seen her as a child at this point right and she's she's taken that empathy that we the audience have given her and totally used it to to manipulate us and turned this into something awful which is you know murder and then she's just getting away. And so it takes this beautiful thing and just perverts it over the course of this 
uh, the, the track that's playing. And I, I, I thought the, the mu- that was really the only time that I noticed the music is that evolution that it makes over the course of that sequence. And I thought it was so, so smart. Also, Alex Garland and his loud climaxes, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, same thing. That was the whole reason that Annihilation was so incredible to see in the theater was just how loud it was. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think those are my craft notes. I don't know if you guys have anything else. I think that's all that I have. Yeah. It's just amazing. I mean, I feel like I could talk about it forever, but we can't because we're on a podcast. It's true. <laughs> And we don't want the podcast to run longer than the movie. Nope. <laughs> uh, t- to be fair, 25 minutes of this is Golden Globes. That's true. So yeah. I'll put a note in the podcast as well if they want to skip that to go to 25 minutes. So um, do you have anything else, Sid? Uh, no. Just trivia? Yeah. Hit us. Okay. Um, Oscar Isaac said that he based his characterization of... Um, he based it on Bobby Fischer and Stanley Kubrick as he sees them as mysterious and elusive geniuses. Um, and then he further kind of based his look on Stanley Kubrick. Um, so director, uh, Alex Garland, he described the future presented in the film as like 10 minutes from now saying basically like if someone announced tomorrow that they had created like their own Ava, people would be surprised, but they wouldn't be that surprised. You know? That's cool. Cause it does That's kind of cool. feel like the next step in technology. Was this, this was a, an original screenplay, right? Yes. Or was it adapted? I think it was original. Original. Yeah. Cause he adapted Annihilation. But yeah. this, okay, cool. Um, so the title derives from a deus ex machina, um, meaning God from the machine, a phrase in Greek tragedies, which would be like an actor playing God is lowered down to fix all the problems of the characters. I'm not entirely sure like how it fits into the movie. I that that's kind of something that I've always wondered. That is interesting. And to get rid of the god part. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So it I mean it literally would just mean from the machine. Yeah. I mean like I guess maybe I'm taking it more as like what an ex machina is in terms of like a movie. Um Yeah. Well, cuz if you think about it, right? Deus ex machina, Deus would be the god part. Yeah. So if Deus Ex Machina is God from the machine, then Ex Machina would just be from the machine. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. Okay. Um, So the three main characters have uh, biblical names. Ava in the form of Eve, the first woman. Nathan was a prophet in the court of David. And Caleb was a spy sent by Moses to evaluate the promised land. Hmm. Um, The only time that you see the title Ex Machina is on... um, Nathan's computer in a folder on his desktop named Deus Ex Machina. Ooh, I want to know what's in that folder. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, okay, so in the end, Ava's session seven appears on screen, even though Caleb isn't administering the Turing test and Nathan is already dead. This may suggest that Ava was testing the two of them the entire time. Hey. Um. For most of the film, Ava is seen as a prisoner while Caleb is seen as free to come and go. Um, But during their interview sessions, uh, this is uh, inverted where Caleb is in a small room, can't really move around, and Ava is in a much bigger space uh, walking around. They also kind of, um, Alex Garland describes Ava as kind of like a tiger in a cage, usually just like kind of pacing around. Well, and even to that point, right, like she can lock down the doors. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which would mean that he couldn't leave his little room. Hmm. Yeah. 
Um, at the end, Ava is shown wearing only white, which symbolizes purity and innocence. This is a clear use of the irony since she manipulated her way out of her isolation. Hmm. Um, and so whenever Ava, um, when she's interviewing Caleb and she's seen as uh, manipulating him or being deceitful, you can always see her reflection. Hmm. Um, uh, this is the foreshadowing that she can be two-faced. Um and using these moments of intimacy to gain t- Caleb's trust, and on rare occasions where she has appears to have a sincere reaction, um, like when she finds out that Caleb's parents are dead, you only see her. You don't see her reflection. Hmm. And that is all the trivia. Great. All right. Uh, well, let's jump into final thoughts and squad attendant. All right. Um, I don't know that I have too much more to say about this movie i think it's just a fantastic movie and it has a lot to say um and i am going to rate it 8.9 okay um okay yeah i don't have too much else to say i think i will probably say that annihilation is a better one for me um i just feel like the um the themes are maybe a little more subtle and I mean, they're both very thought provoking movies, but I don't know. Maybe just annihilation is a little bit more entertaining. Um, Oh, sorry. I did want to say that. I agree that I think annihilation, I like annihilation a lot more than yeah, I think so. And like, this is his, his first directorial debut, which a uh, fantastic job. Oh, yeah, for He's sure. been writing forever though. He wrote oh, yeah. 28 days later. He wrote sunshine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, so I can see that, like, I mean, it's fantastic for his first one. Um, but like, I can see, like, there were a few things that he kind of needed to work out, um, moving his script to screen. Um, but I would say, like, this movie is very good. It's gorgeous. The, the performances are fantastic. The dancing scene is amazing. I just, I, I love that scene so much. Um, I'm going to give this one 8.4. Um, I have a New Year's resolution. All right. I thought you hated New Year's resolutions. I do, but it's it's it's. Uh, I don't. It just happens to go inside with New Year's. I've, I've been thinking about it for a little bit though, and I think I want to do something a little bit different. I, um, if you haven't noticed, I very much enjoy rating and ranking things, but I have gotten a little tired of, especially as the Western scale has grown. Um, I guess minutely trying to decide if one movie is better than another, right? Is this one a 9.2? Okay, well, if I like Ex Machina better than Annihilation and Annihilation is a 9.2, then Ex Machina has to be at least a 9.3. But then I'm like, oh, but a 9.3, that puts it with like, you know, just barely below the dark night and like all these things, right? Yeah. So I've decided that I'm going to stop giving point rankings and I'm going to do everything on round numbers. Oh. So... Um, I don't know if I could do that. I could maybe do like 0.5s. Yeah, I could probably do that. So, and I'm not telling you guys that you have to do it. I'm just saying I'm going to do it, right? So like if a movie is a nine, it's a nine. And like some nines might be better than other nines, but like it's a nine and you should see it because it's a nine, right? Mm -hmm. Uh Like it just seems like this pursuit of like which movies are marginally better than others might, it it seems a little bit uh, misguided, at least in the way that my brain functions. All right. So I'm going to give only round numbers from here on out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine, and then a 10. 
Those are whole numbers. In case you didn't know how to count. Uh, X Machina is a nine. Cool. Right? So that might mean that some high eights might get called nines when they would have been high eights before, but that's how it is. It's really not that much of a difference anyway. Yeah. I know. I'm just saying like in terms of your argument, like. Sure. I mean, it's and it's not a bad idea too, because then clump all the nines together, the, they're all amazing movies. Yeah. Tens, obviously. Are tens. Yeah. Because I, I wasn't going to give like a 10.2 to something, you know what I mean? Even though I still think that even out of the movies that I consider to be tens, there are some tens that are better than other tens that are not all on the same level. Yeah. yeah. So here we go. Uh, 8.9, 8.4, and a 9 puts us at about an 8.7. Uh, leaving Ex Machina in company with such movies as... We got to go down quite a bit. We watch a lot of good movies. Um, wow Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Um, Us and just above Grand Budapest Hotel Alright, I I think think that's an okay spot I think we way underrated Grand Budapest Hotel I agree But we'll have to have a revisionist corner about that sometime Alright, that concludes our discussion of Ex Machina Cool Yeah Um, Let's get into some other topics Yeah? Yeah Cool um what have we been watching um i mean i watched a lot of like christmas movies always a great time okay um see i watched b movie like great movie seinfeld yes (laughs) and uh i watched roman holiday which was pretty good it wasn't like as good as i was expecting um what is that it's the one with it's um her her first movie audrey hepburn one where she's a princess and she kind of runs away and um, has like a like a crazy day in Rome with a hottie. Hmm. I don't know. It was pretty good. All right. Um, and then I watched In the Mood for Love, which was fantastic. Oh, that's Wai, right? Um, I think so. Yeah. Um, I loved it. Uh, it was kind of depressing, but also kind of like in a hopeful way. Okay. I guess. I don't know. I just thought it was gorgeous. It's very slow. Um, and it's kind of hard to pick up on um, some of the context of it, but like there are these just like gorgeous um, sequences in between like the monologues where it's just like kind of like sweeping music and just like slow mo camera just showing these characters. And it's just it's a fascinating look at at love and like oh it's so good and it's gorgeous. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, and Little Women, I loved it. I, like, for the first half of the movie, I just, like, was smiling like an idiot. Uh, For the second half, I was just crying like an idiot. Um, Just the chemistry between all the characters, it feels very authentic. I would probably say... Well, and it's got Timothy in it. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, Yeah, the the chemistry between Timothy and Sersha is great, um, as well as him with Florence. I'd probably say the only one who's, like, really lacking for me was, like, Emma Watson. She's still really good in it, but... Maybe it was just her character, but it's just, I feel like it's a very honest portrayal of sisters and growing up together um, and just some incredible performances by some incredible actors. Okay, great. And yeah, it was great. Um, And then I watched the newest Hellboy and it was absolutely garbage. I don't remember a single thing about it. That's the not Del Toro one, right? Yeah, the one with david harbour i, I okay. don't remember anything about it it was so bad because del toro did the 
two like yeah. 15 years ago right mm-hmm. okay um and then yeah i watched the farewell which i would i honestly looking at the nominations for the golden globes i wouldn't call it a comedy it had comedic moments but it was definitely more serious than it was comedic all right um and then i watched star wars which i thought was pretty good i'm not a huge star wars person so i thought it was good all right. There were no shirtless Kylo Ren scenes. That was yeah, I want those chiseled pecs, Adam Driver. Hit me with them pecs. <laughs> so, yeah. That's the most noteworthy stuff that I've seen. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'll jump through the ones that I'm excited about, and then I'll let Becca talk about some of the other ones. Probably the same ones. Well, actually, the ones that I'm really excited about uh, are one. We saw, we saw Bombshell, which was good. Yeah, I'm glad we saw it. Yeah. Nicole Kidman did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, we went and saw Uncut Gems. We did. Just so good. It was, for me, the first half hour and the last half hour I loved. The middle hour and a half were hard. It's fair. I loved it. And we can't really talk about it because it doesn't seem yeah, yeah. But Shut I loved it. It was really good. Good time might still be better. I, I think it is. But this thing was phenomenal. Um, and Adam I, Sandler was oh my gosh so good I would love to see him get an Oscar for this I, if he gets nominated I might pick him over Joaquin he vanishes into this role you do not see Adam Sandler not a single time the entire he's so freaking good Um, I watched Until the End of the World which is a Wim Wenders film. I blind bought the Criterion because it looked really good. And it was really good. It's four and a half hours long. Uh, so it's presented in two halves, though. So I watched it over two days. I watched... It's it's even on two discs in the Criterion version. So Oh, yeah. That's what I said at work. Yeah. Uh, but it's quite good. It's um, about a lot of things. But if you want to sit down and watch a two-hour and then a two-and-a-half-hour movie and you're into sci-fi and road movies it's really good and it's totally worth a watch it's a gorgeous film um and then we watched the report which is fine makes me sad about america yes yeah um we already mentioned i feel like the few movies we watched this week we watched uh once upon a time in hollywood again and it was amazing and we watched interstellar which i had only seen one time before years ago and i i remembered a lot of it but like Oh my gosh, it's so good. Um, we watched Ready or Not, which was again surprisingly really good. A treat of a film. Yeah. It was way more intense than I was expecting. Much more violent than I was expecting too, and like yeah. gory, very oh, yeah. gory. That movie's crazy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that's a movie that I'm just pleased exists. Yeah. I know. <laughs> again, it it was like Knives Out for me, where. I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, that looks quirky and fun. But like, you know, just like a movie that you go see. Yeah. But surprised me and was a lot better than I had expected. Yeah, much better than I anticipated it would yeah. be. Um, And then we also watched The Revenant last night. It was my first time and it was very good. It, I did not. I was not expecting the gore. Oh, yeah. It like I've never been queasy from gore in a movie, and I was queasy <laughs> from the gore last night. It was yeah. very hard to watch. It's pretty brutal when he takes the drink out of the canteen and it flows Ugh. out of his neck. Gosh, Ugh. 
Not even that. When he lights it on fire. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, I yeah. It's a rough it. one. So good. But it was a really movie is astonishing. Movie. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I said 2015 was a stacked year. Um, yeah, that's everything. Yeah. Um, one thing I forgot to mention, I have been watching The Newsroom. Um, it's an HBO series. Is it the one with Jeff Bridges? Um, it's not Jeff Bridges. It's, uh, what's his name? Uh, is it something Daniels? Jeff Daniels? Yes. That's what I was thinking yes. of. Is that the one where he has his speech on the stage about why uh-huh. America sucks? Yeah. yeah. It's so good. It, like, I am not usually one to, like, I don't find politics super interesting or you know like i try and keep up with it but i just like it sounded like such a boring show when i first heard about it and austin was the one who made me watch it um but it's it's so great aaron sorkin uh does most of the script oh well there you go yeah it's just it takes stuff that i would normally find just so boring and it makes it so interesting and funny and it's just it's so good i highly recommend it excellent Anything else from us, folks? I don't think so. Nope. Okay. Well, then, um, I think next week we will likely be doing an episode on 1917, right? Mm-hmm. Which then the following week will be our end of year roundup. That will give us an opportunity to see everything that we want. Um, I want to see A Hidden Life. I want to see 1917. And I guess we're going to go see Little Women now. Mm-hmm. And I would also like to see Uncut Gems again. And then we also have the two popes that we yeah have we gotta seen. watch the two popes now is that all um i think maybe the farewell if we have time okay but yeah. a lot of movies. so two weeks from now we'll be doing our end of year retrospective we'll be giving our top tens and we'll do it the same as we did last year where we we each rank our top 10 uh your number one gets 10 points your number 10 gets one point and then we combine all the points and that will be our collective top 10 won't oscar nominations be out by then they very possibly could. I think they come out the 14th. Okay. Yeah, then they will be. Then we might have to do a double take. I don't know. Because we, we also need to do our Oscar nomination extravaganza. Which we could even do that the week following. Yeah. Because we just have to do it before the Oscars come out. And they'll be like second week of February, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that will be... That's our upcoming three weeks. 1917, end of year, and then Oscars. Mm-hmm. So um yeah we're we apologize for being so mia during the holiday season but family and things like that take priority so uh, we appreciate uh, everybody who listened to this and we hope that you will continue to listen to our future episodes i apologize if i got too excited about the possibilities of artificial intelligence sid (laughs) no i'm not telling you that (laughs) to keep it down i'm just saying i have not looked into it at all so it was a lot to process all right i say keep going all right great uh we love you we thank you if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at contact at wewatchpodcast.com you can slide into the dms facebook.com slash wewatchpodcast at wewatchpodcast on instagram and twitter uh, if you want to get in touch with us, it's not our fault uh, if you don't do it because we have provided many a means. Uh, we love you all. We thank you all. And we'll catch you in the next one. I'm Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. And bye-bye. Bye. Bye.